Hello, and welcome to MedTech Insight's annual review of the MTI 100. I'm MedTech Insight commercial and R&D editor, Reed Miller, and today I'll talk with our executive editor, Ashley Yeo, who compiles our MTI 100 and industry listings for 2020, as well as the outlook pieces based around our current event and future expectations. So Ashley, what trends did you identify and what noteworthy elements were to be seen in the 2020 tables? Hi, Reed. Yeah. So these tables just published tell the uh, industry pretty much what it's already sensed, but it puts it down in black and white and in one place. And it's a good resource for all that. One day we'll get back to no COVID business conditions, but for the time being, looking at the 2020 table, it's about who coped, who adjusted, who was not able to adjust based on their product portfolio. And for those who reported late in the year, it, it indicated who learned from the first shock and who was able to rebuild from that. And the late reporters that we've written about in this uh, top listing include ventilator company ResMed, and in the top 10, Cardinal Health, Siemens, Healthineers, and Beckton Dickinson and Medtronic. Look at our top 10 in 2020. All of the elective care majors suffered in one way or another. Medtronic was back over the, the 30 billion threshold with a 4.2 rise in sales in 2021, having been able to adjust to the marketing conditions after its Q4 2019-20 experience. And in Europe, Philips is um, is still the largest European-based group in the global medtech industry. It also recovered somewhat during 2020 with connected care carrying it. But then the reverse happened in 2021 somewhat and its diagnostic and treatment business recovered and connected care corrected itself somewhat. So there's a lot in the stories in 2020, but those corrections are built into their company's 2021 guidance. ResMed, for example, has been stressing that what goes up doesn't always stay up, for instance, and Beckton Dickinson has predicted that its sales will drop down back below 20 billion to the bracket 19.3 to 19.5 in 2021-22. GE lost ground in 2020 after selling off its healthcare life sciences to Danaher. So it looked like it had fallen, but, but its change was structural. So just to be brief, there are a few new entries in our 2020 list, which meant a few of the lower end companies like Swedish IT and cybersecurity company Sectra and IVD's company Oroshore dropped out. RTI Surgical also underwent a restructuring and a renaming, but the new incarnation, Surgical Line, had reduced in size too much to be a top 100 player in our 2020 listing. Companies that knew in, knew into the listing were included Garden Health and iRhythm Technologies, we have, we have Japan's Teijin and Steris is back in there too. And at number 100, we include a new Chinese company, Sonoscape, which is listed in Shenzhen. China's 14th five-year plan, which was released in 2021, promises more Chinese companies coming into our top 50, in fact. In fact, they want six to eight within the top 50 globally by 2025. So there's a huge expansion plan going on there. That might change the top rankings uh, significantly. It's a huge ambition, obviously. It means we're going to lose some companies too. And out this year, out of the table, when we do it in the next year, will be Smith's Medical, who were in there for the last time in 2020. Variant Medical Imaging and Medical Systems has gone to Siemens Health and Ears. And Cantel Medical has been acquired by Steris um, during this year. So next, so in our figures that we produce for the coming year, there will be some significant changes in there. So that's a long answer to your question, Reid, for some of the changes that we've seen. So what can you tell us about the, the basis for the inclusion in the rankings? We include companies in the top 100 who are publicly owned. We show their external sales value at manufacturer level and we exclude service revenues where we can. Sometimes it's, it's impossible to, to separate them out. Most companies do separate them out, though. We use our average annual exchange rates from December the 
31st, 2020 for all companies for comparative purposes. And that's for companies, even if they have a year end, um, 31st of March, 2021, which all the Japanese companies do. Some companies like Cooper Surgical reported early in 2020. So we haven't, we can't use that. We can't use their exchange rate for that particular time. And then we've got some very late reporting companies this year for the first time. Um, Siemens Health and Ears, we've used for 20 for year end September 30th, 2021. Likewise for BD and also Hologic. So we've got those in for the first time. So this is the most up-to-date table you could get. And also new in this year, we include descriptions of each of the, the top 100 companies. So at a glance, you can see what, what a company's main activities are, which is essential for this. There's such fragmented industry governed by regulatory and reimbursement um, conditions, but so different in terms of products it delivers to, to the public in terms of innovation. Okay, so 2020, of course, was the first full year that we have data on that was completely impacted by COVID. So how did that affect the, the tables and how they were compiled? And how did that affect the rankings or either the top one or the subtables? Yeah, that, that's the biggest thing really was how the IVD companies grew massively. In fact, separated out the uh, industry into four different tables. Um, IVDs is one, cardiology is another one, which uh, you, you covered, Reed imaging um, and orthopedics and in the IVDs the top 20 there almost all of them grew in 2020 and Biorad was the one major exception because of its product portfolio slant and and Myriad was another because it only reported for a half year um, last year. Abbott massively grew um, in 2020 based on its IVDs portfolio and there's growth of it, stratospheric proportions for some of the companies, um, which readers will be able to see when they look at the, uh, the tables. Okay. Now, you also compiled analysis of events, the past, and ones that are predicted for the future to accompany these tables. Uh, what can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, we've done some commentaries and analysis around the 2020 tables showing developments among the individual companies. We've done a review of cardiology companies in 2021 and had taken a forward view of the conditions that are affecting them. We've also sampled the views of some senior individuals in the industry, CEOs from companies like Medtronic, Smith & Nephew, Johnson & Johnson. We've taken their views and sampled them to present what they think will happen in 2022 and beyond. And we've also drawn up what we see as the leading 10 issues that, that companies should be wary of or look out for uh, in 2022. And they, to be brief, they, they rotate around the regulatory changes um, in the EU, the IBDR and the MDR coming in, the IBDR coming to force in, 20, in spring 2022, the MDR still working its way through uh, in the UK, uh, the CA marking coming into force, which will mean change for companies, uh, how they address the UK. The elective care backlog probably will worsen in, in 2022. This is still a, a major issue for non-COVID adaptable companies. And then we have other issues like the rising importance of ESG and sustainability and the rising need for companies to factor in connected digital and IT uh, technologies in both the front and back office. Finally, a big one for, for the COVID uh, fallout is strengthening the supply chain, both on a global or a local level, uh, and how to ensure continuity of supply, which is something that the COVID um, episode has taught companies. Reid, you did analysis of cardiology companies in our leading rankings. Can you give us an overview of trends and the sentiment in that industry segment? Yeah, that's right. So I took a look at the 
big cardiovascular device companies, and really they are a illustration of the med tech industry as a whole. Obviously, the big theme this year was COVID-19 and how they're going to recover from that. Most types of cardiovascular surgeries and interventions took a huge hit early in the pandemic in 2020 as hospitals around the world shifted resources to COVID patients and put off whatever procedures they possibly could. And also a lot of patients on their own decided they didn't want to go to the hospital. So they put off their cases. And in a lot of cases, that was not really a great idea, valve replacements and things like that, which really aren't optional. But generally, as the year went on and into 2021, we've seen this gradual recovery of case volumes and the companies have all returned to growth. It's all a bit shaky right now. We're moving into 2022 with a new variant and we'll just see how that goes. But generally speaking, the response from the companies is that hospitals have figured out a way to schedule these procedures. And so they don't expect ever things to ever go back to the battle days of early in the pandemic. So that was obviously the most important trend. Some of the other trends we noticed is that multiple different companies started to talk a lot more about the environment and diversity and inclusion. Medtronic in particular has announced a series of initiatives around their impact. Now those don't necessarily have anything particularly to do with cardiology, but they are big companies and they have found that caring about those things or having goals for those things as helping them recruit people. And right now, as the as the business moves more and more into some complicated tech areas, AI and so forth, they are competing with Silicon Valley and related companies for talent. And so they need to keep up with those companies in terms of their commitments to these important uh, goals. Now, the diversity and inclusion part, however, does directly relate to cardiology in a couple of ways in that companies in this space have always had a hard time recruiting diverse group of people into their clinical trials, the, the kind of people that are in that real world population. And in a lot of cases, that includes a lot of people who aren't white or aren't male. So we've seen a couple of, of companies trying to be a little more aggressive about fixing that. In particular, I've written about Abbott. They realized that one of the reasons why they're not getting diverse groups of people into their clinical trials is the hospital's that run these trials tend to be the big uh, academic centers and that those centers are just not um, contact with the communities they're trying to serve. So one of the things they're they're doing is they're funding scholarships at medical schools and, and nursing programs that are connected to historically black colleges and universities. The idea being that if you can diversify the kind of doctors and nurses that are in clinical trials in particular, that that will improve your communication with those communities and get more of those people into trials. Now, that's a very long-term goal. They're obviously emphasizing some shorter-term things in terms of how they recruit people and reach out to people and also provide support to enrolling people in clinical trials. Maybe you just need a translator. Maybe you just need something to help people get a ride to the trial site. So all those kinds of things that seem really basic, um, but companies are really starting to talk a lot more more about that. Of course, the other big themes that are always big themes, uh, reimbursement is becoming an important theme as we sort of move into a bold new age of artificial intelligence and, and newer technological ways of tracking patients. The the story we've, we follow quite a bit is this company, iRhythm, which has the, the Zeo patch that say tracks people for two weeks on their ECG to see if they have atrial fibrillation, simplifying way of putting it. There's a lot of AI and stuff that goes into that. And they're right now running up against some issues trying to get Medicare's local carriers to give them adequate reimbursement for that. They're pushing CMS nationally to pay for that. You know, eventually that will probably come around, but in the meantime, it's just a barrier to adoption 
you know, this is a new thing that's doing things that have never been able to be done for patients before. So they need to collect the data to prove that it's really valuable. So that's a big theme, obviously. And then the ongoing theme of making everything less invasive, make, putting something that used to be a surgery onto a catheter. So TAVR is now very well established. You know, the aortic valve replacement, we're seeing a lot more data coming out about transcatheter mitral valve replacement and uh, tricuspid valve replacement, and just that normal, ongoing, relentless push to make things smaller, easier to implant, less invasive. We've also seen that in the CRM space. We recently wrote about how Boston Scientific is developing this modular CRM system so that you can get a subcutaneous ICD, which is less invasive than a traditional one. With And then if you later on need a pacemaker, they now have a device that they can just plant that will offer that kind of pacing that those patients need. You know, that's an ongoing theme that's probably never going to end. So would you just have any other final thoughts? Thanks, Reed. Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, the response of the industry to COVID. Um, industry didn't want COVID, responded very well. Um, COVID has run through everything that the industry has done for the past 18 months, has been hugely influenced by it. It's led to new types of innovation. It's led to new types of collaboration across the industry, partnerships, with, with regulators, with governments, uh, kind of a whole new, brave new world that has been built very quickly. I mean, there are problems with the supply chain and the need to to adjust to the needs for that. If if and when this kind of incident happens again, most people are uh, predicting surely will. That's to be taken care of. But in general, a huge upheaval that's been ma- managed very well. And um, we look forward to seeing the changes. What changes are reflected in next year's MedTech 100 table? But for now, the 2020 tables and analysis are available on the MedTech Insight website, Read. Thanks for that, Ashley. Yeah, you can find all of our MTI 100 right now, including the sortable charts at medtechinsight.com. That's also where you can find all of our recent podcasts, including the archive of Device Week, which as the name implies, we do every week. We have a monthly digital health roundup podcast. We have the Speaking of MedTech podcast, and there you can also link to all the other Informa Pharma Intelligence podcasts. All those are available on the Informa Pharma Intelligence channel on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Spotify Podcasts. And if you have a smart speaker, you can set up one of those platforms as your default podcast provider. You can find us on Twitter at MedTech underscore Insight. I'm at MedTech Read. Ashley is Ashley PEO. Thanks and have a great holiday.